This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I've mentioned it a time or two on the show, but I used to be a teacher. I taught for five years, and I was a parish youth minister for six years. Um, I spend most of my summers, when not in a global pandemic, uh, traveling around, speaking at conferences and camps, mainly with middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults. That's kind of the other thing that I do besides host a podcast and project manage Java Explorers. And there's always something that's really fascinating when talking to young people, having conversations with them after giving a talk, getting to know them in and out of the classroom in a youth ministry context. And it, it's very simply this. Young people suffer just as much as adults, sometimes even more. And in this Faith in Action series, we've been exploring how to respond to the challenges of suffering in this world, how to love people in their time of both need and in a temporal and spiritual way, how the church is called to go forth, to set out on mission, to love those who are in need of being educated and cared for, clothed and fed, loved to the point where they recognize dignity and worth. So as we were planning out this series on Faith in Action and thinking about the written content and the video content and the podcast guests, I knew I wanted to talk to someone who has experience in walking with and working with young people who have found themselves in need and who are specifically uh, looked after and cared for by an organization, a group, someone whose focus is on reaching those young people who are hurting, perhaps even abandoned, who feel left behind in some sense. It made perfect sense for me to talk to my good friend, author and speaker Chris Frank. Chris and I met a few years ago at a youth conference we were both speaking at and hit it off right away. His wife is from Louisiana, so we had some some Southern experiences in common. Um, and as you'll hear a bit in the, in the interview, you know, Chris has had kind of a wild ride when it comes to ministry, working in a, a very affluent parish in Houston, Texas, before moving up to Steubenville, Ohio, to begin work with a group called Vagabond Missions, uh, an organization, a ministry that, that focuses specifically on reaching out to inner city youth who need community, who need basic care in some instances, who are being introduced to the gospel, sometimes for the first time, who need Jesus. And Vagabond Missions gives them that, gives them the opportunity to experience community and fellowship and a hot meal and a chance to to meet the person of Jesus Christ. I think Chris would tell you, just as much as anybody else that knows him, that it was a bit of a shock for him to head on up there and, and take on this mission work And part of his job is training the missionaries who go out to the different communities and build relationships with young people. And so today's conversation isn't just about here is what we do and why we do it, and here's how you work with an at-risk youth, for lack of a better way to put it, but instead is also a conversation about how to prepare our hearts, how to prepare our minds for walking alongside especially young people who are hurting and who are in need. When we talk about faith in action, you know, sometimes I think we, we just assume that our faith in action, um, or our faith is put into action, rather, by, I don't know, taking care of adults, 
doing those corporal works of mercy with people who have fallen down on their luck, who are struggling, who are hurting, who are in need. And we can immediately fulfill those needs by giving them something or by saying something or by writing a check. But as Chris talks about, a lot of times, the work that we do, especially with young people, isn't so much handing them money or buying them a meal or making sure they have a place to stay, but is instead growing in relationship with them, getting to know their story, answering their big questions, helping them feel like they're part of something. That perhaps our faith is put into action best, as we've said pretty consistently throughout the series, when we think about the person and not just the lack of what they have. We think about them and their dignity and we love them in the moments we find ourselves with them and bring them to a new understanding of self-worth, provide for their needs, care for them in the only way that we should and the only way that we do know how to, as Jesus would. Chris is an author uh, of, a, of a new book that just came out this week, Hope Always. It's a, a pretty great explanation of the, the virtue of hope. And so we talked today, too, a little bit about not just his book, but how the virtue of hope really is the, the guiding force of how to walk with young people who find themselves in need and struggling, and, and how bringing hope and restoring hope in their hearts and in their minds is an essential part of caring for them, temporally and spiritually. I would encourage you to grab a copy of Chris's book. The link is down in the show notes, as well as look him up. He's a great guy to know, and, and he's got some excellent insights to offer. I think this episode is one that you'll greatly enjoy because it talks about how we walk with all people, but especially young people, in their moments of need by loving them, by restoring a sense of hopefulness, by helping them see their value, and by bringing them closer to Jesus. As always, you can find all of our Ave Explorers content for this series, Faith in Action, over at AveMariaPress.com, where you can sign up to receive our weekly emails. In those emails is all sorts of exclusive information, the articles, the videos, links to the podcasts, of course, which you're listening to now. Thank you. Um, as well as some other really cool things, a social media giveaway that you should definitely get involved in, um, opportunities to see challenges and, and learn about the saints. So hop on over to AveMariaPress.com, sign up to get that right into your inbox. Um, you can find all of the old episodes of this show, of course, over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, and we're always grateful when you give us a rating and review. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll want to give us a great review because it is a great conversation and a great episode. So without further ado a chat with my good friend, Chris Frank, of Vagabond Missions. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course. It's great. It's good to see yeah. you. It's nice to see you, too. For those of you that don't know, Chris and I are good friends. We normally get to see each other during the summer, and we don't this summer, so this is a real treat. Uh, but tell us where you are. It looks like you're sitting on the floor right now in a basement. I'm sitting on the floor in a basement, hiding from my kids, um, Everyone's upstairs. I can hear them now getting <laughs> lunch. Um, but this is the, the quietest place in the house. And so. And that house sure is in my, where? This house is in Steubenville, Ohio. So we got just it. moved here a couple years ago. Awesome. And uh, yeah, making this small town our home. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do in Steubenville? You know Steubenville. You went to Franciscan. I know Steubenville. I never thought I'd be living in Steubenville, <laughs> but I, I did go to school here. I went to Franciscan University, uh, met my wife here. And, uh, we, she's from Louisiana, like you. Yeah. And uh, we spent some time in Florida after we got married. Spent quite a few years in Texas, uh, living in Houston. 
And then again, a few years ago, came up here to do some nonprofit work. Awesome. Awesome. What did you study, Franciscan? Uh, I studied theology and catechetics. So things about God and how to teach God. Yeah. Yeah. And so you worked in youth ministry primarily before heading up to Steubenville. Exactly. So yeah, parish youth ministry, uh, small parish in Florida, big parish because everything is bigger in Texas, big parish in Texas. Yeah. But you ended back up in Steubenville against all odds. No family. Your brother's up there, right? My brother lives outside Chicago, but I did grow up in Ohio. So my parents are three hours away, three and a half hours away. So close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Grandparents are around. Yeah. Yeah. They're around. They can come for the weekend. They can come for the weekend. They can leave after the weekend. It's it's yeah. a perfect combination. <laughs> Which is normally how grandparents like it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. What led you back to Steubenville? You know, it's a cliche answer, but but it really was, was a God thing. Um, when I was in Texas, I was in this beautiful, amazing, vibrant parish. It was kind of the, the parish that I think most youth ministers would love to be a part of. Um, I was one of three youth ministers. And then we had a young adult minister um, all oh, wow. full time. And then we had an admin, right? So I didn't have to do paperwork, um, <laughs> but I had this, this team and we worked together as a team and we're kind of our own little kind of subgroup within the parish family. And, you know, on a Sunday evening, we'd have 500 teens show up to a program, 600 teens show up to a program if it was a, a big night and mm-hmm. um, just big and vibrant, like I said, and opulent. So if we could dream it, we could kind of do it. And it was fantastic. And for whatever reason, uh, I started to feel this stirring in my heart that, you know, maybe it was time to follow God somewhere new. And there was a few things on the table and a couple of options. And one of those was at the time it was called Dirty Vagabond Ministries. Now it's called Vagabond Missions was, was an option. They had called and kind of sold me on some ideas of how I could fit in the mission. And at the time, if you would have asked me like, what's the odds of me moving back to Steubenville, Ohio to do inner city work? I would have said it was, it was on the table just because I was friends with the ministry, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was just going to do them some polite discerning and then say, no, thank you in a couple of weeks. And uh, through it all, um, through the prayer and conversations with my spiritual director and my wife, uh, it became one of those things that went from improbable and impractical to inevitable. Mm -hmm. And, and we just, by, by the grace of God, took, took this plunge. And at the time we had four kids and we thought, why not? Let's, let's become missionaries and move to the inner city. And that's, that's what we did. And so two and a half years later, here we are. When I think of Steubenville, I don't think inner city, but right. And that's mainly because most people just associate the university city on right. a hill, but there's so much more going on in Ohio and Pittsburgh. Right. And an inner city for Steubenville is maybe a little misleading because it's such a small town. Right, but, you but there's still have, poverty. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you have Franciscan, which of course is this beautiful Catholic campus and amazing community and God's doing great things through their outreach. But the city itself is in shambles. And I say that lovingly, mm-hmm. but but it is. It's 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 riddled with poverty and gangs and violence. Things you wouldn't expect, things you don't really hear all that much about, but um, I found out after we moved here that we're halfway between Chicago and New York City. So mm-hmm. back in the day when mobsters and things like that were, were kind of, you know, more prevalent, we were kind of the stopping point between mm-hmm. the two, which just kind of led to a whole bunch of drugs and, you know, other bad things kind of being shipped through this area. And 
um, as the economy dipped here and everything else, things just kind of started to decay a little bit. And, and so we're here, not in the typical city that you would think you'd find an inner city ministry, but, but we're mm-hmm. trying our best because there's, there's definitely a need in this small town. Yeah. So you discerned to join this team, Vagabond Missions at the yep. time, Dirty Vagabond. Yep. Wh- who, who are they? What are they? I mean, you were compelled enough we were compelled. to want to be part yep. of it. Yeah. So Dirty Vagabond Ministry started a little over 10 years ago. I was actually a student at Franciscan when Bob Lesneski, I think you know Bob, everybody. Oh, yeah. Right, just be. This is formerly known. <laughs> famous Catholic rapper. Um, he, uh, he has a heart for the inner city that is just contagious. Mm-hmm. And he's done so much youth ministry, but his heart just kept bringing him back to those who have been neglected and those who are often um, underserved. And so when I was a student here, he moved back to Franciscan or to the Steubenville area to start this ministry. And I saw it when my friends were involved and I just thought, that's great. It's beautiful. Not for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you can tell from everything about me. Like, <laughs> I did not grow up in the inner city. Um, and, you know, you're a missionary. And so you fundraise your salary. There's just a whole bunch of things that I just didn't think that would, would be practical. Just didn't think that I would be quite the right fit. Um, but I've known Bob for a long time. I saw the fruits of it when I was here. And then as I moved on and was doing youth ministry, I kept in close contact with Bob and supported the ministry and loved it. I just loved it. Um, but always felt like I would be a little bit of an odd fit with the mm-hmm. ministry itself. But um, when they called again, there was just something, something about the invitation at that time. And where I was in Texas, it was a very opulent area and I, I loved it and it was great. And we all know the suburbs need Jesus just as much as mm-hmm. the inner city. But there was something after being in such an affluent area and I think just seeing some things in the world and some things that I was kind of praying through at the time, what I saw in Dirty Vagabond when they called and as I was praying felt so much like the gospel to me that it was hard to ignore, uh, you know, the call. And, and that's not to say that youth ministry is not following the gospel or, or anything else is, is separate from that. But for me, as I kind of read what Jesus was doing and then saw what Dirty Vagabond was doing, I was just kind of like, geez. You know, how, yeah. how can I, you know, turn away from something that I feel so strongly about at this point? And so, so I went from, again, this, this beautiful, very cosmetically pleasing suburb um, into the inner city. Yeah. So what is, what does Vagabond Missions do? What's the primary goal sure. and, and work of the ministry? Yeah. So we're a Catholic nonprofit that works alongside the church, but doesn't work within the church. And that just gives us some freedom to do things that oftentimes you can't do working in the mm-hmm. church these days, like give teams rides or mm-hmm. hang out with them um, on a more consistent basis. Um, you know, what we often say is that we're trying to break the cycle of hopelessness. And there are so many inner city ministries and nonprofits that are doing amazing work that provide resources and training for people in need. And what we do is we try to provide relationships. And so it's not just about resources, but it's about relationships. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for like you and for me, we're probably where we are because there's people in our lives, parents, grandparents, youth ministers, mentors, who saw something in us and challenged us and called us on to be something better. A lot of the people that we serve don't have those people in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they've fallen to the wayside and they've been a little marginalized and, there's so much hurt and distrust within the inner city uh, 
that we can often go in there. We try our best to build trust, build relationships, be available. And through that, then we can help connect them to maybe some of those other resources and ministries that are around that, for whatever reason, um, people of the inner city are slow to get in line with or lean on. And so we get in there and ultimately just through youth ministry and loving teens well, uh, we try our best to introduce them to the gospel and to the church and then offer what resources and um, yeah, just practical, tangible um, things, you know, uh, yeah. clothes, food, whatever it might be. Um, we try our best to provide that other ministries if, if possible. Yeah. It sounds like the goal is if I see the person before I see just the, the lack of what they physically have, then I can eventually get them those things that they would need, but exactly. there's a trust that has to be built first. Exactly. And, and it takes time and it's so hard. I remember the first time so much of what we do is relational, right? So we have mm-hmm. programs, again, it is a, a youth ministry oriented program and ministry but but that's really just to get us into those relationships right i think mm-hmm. when i was in in church work it often was kind of centered around the program it was just easy mm-hmm. like you know we're gonna have this thing we're gonna have an event parents are gonna drop off kids it's simple um we have these events so that we can build relationships and continue to hang out with them and disciple them and ideally bring them into a relationship with jesus christ but it takes time and the first time we were hanging out with kids i showed up and there's this young guy named Nazir and uh, he's just a wild man. And he looked at me and he was so mean and he just kept calling me rat boy um, the entire time, just rat boy, rat boy. And I mean, I was like 30 and just left, you know, Houston. I was like, what, what am I doing here to yeah. be insulted by <laughs> this 14 year old kid? Um, you know, but uh, I showed up the next week and showed up the next week and, and now it's great uh, because he'll just show up in my house and we'll hang out. Or last year he actually came into the church, which is just a huge day. Wow. He got baptized and became Catholic. And um, so it's just amazing because it, it does start with a relationship for us. Yeah. And and then from that relationship, you know, um, yeah, no holds barred. Because once you have it, you really can, can go a lot further. Yeah. I mean, so much of, I think we... I don't want to say wrongly, but a lot of times when we think of the social justice ministry and work of the church, I have a tendency to think of it from like this 10,000 foot view of, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to provide cans here and I'm going to write this check and I'm going to go on this mission trip to to Haiti, all valid things. But a lot of times they're just really small communities of of people within our neighborhoods even that need that love. I mean, you went to college up in Steubenville, so there's an an attachment to the place. Um, I mean, what... What have you learned about maybe even your own self in doing this work? Yeah, I mean, I think, ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a bomb. No, I'm just curious. No, that's, that's so good. So I think I've learned, one, I've learned how much I need Jesus, but also how present Jesus has been to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was one of the things that really attracted me to the ministry. I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't realize how difficult. Mm-hmm. And and only my kid with jury because there are some things like what do you say when a kid wakes up and there's been an overdose in his house right like what do you what do you do when someone's parents are gone 
sector. And what say to that? Um, so I know that there's things in ministry that like I'm not prepared for, but just spiritually too, seeing my own shortcomings and saying like, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. But knowing my own proclivities and my own inclinations, like mm-hmm. we're not that different, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it looks different. Like the, the symptoms are different, but the root is the same. And, and I just need Jesus a lot. And, and that's what these teams need. So I think personally, I, I've just really, really been convicted for my own holiness and my own call to conversion. But I think the thing that surprised me the most in the ministry that has been just, again, a, a delight. And I've just been so blessed to be a part of this, but it was a surprise. And it's going to sound silly as I say this. But how the gospel transcends all these superficial elements of life that I think society often builds up to be these these bigger, bigger things. And so I just thought being a white guy from the suburbs going in to do inner city ministry with primarily my, uh, minors and minorities, I just thought, well, like, well I'm going to have to learn all new methodology. I'm going to have to try my best to get some kind of street cred, which I thought would be impossible for me because, again, it's me. You know, and and yet the gospel transcends any superficial difference. And the work that you do for the gospel and for the kingdom goes beyond all of those minor educational, economical differences that uh, that society often kind of segregates us by. Mm-hmm. And the ministry is different, but only because the extremes are greater. In the inner yeah. city, the the hurts are 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 very deep. But again, you know, there's there's hurts in the suburbs too, and Jesus's response to those hurts are the same. And in the same way, the the victories in the inner city for me, I just find so much hope and joy in. Um, mm-hmm. Like it was great to see teens get confirmed when I was a youth minister. Loved it. Uh, when I see a teen get baptized and confirmed at the vigil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to hold back tears because you know how far that team has come. And so to see the gospel transcend and work and reach into the depths of people who have been somewhat cast out by, by society has just been amazing. And in so many ways has brought the gospel to life for me. Yeah. Tommy teaches in a, um, and it would be similar in inner city school. It's a charter school, dominantly minority community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, one of the things that he was so worried about when the pandemic got started and school closed was, you know, the relationships that have been formed with these kids, seeing them five days a week, even just being able to say, good morning, how you doing? You know, what are you excited about for today? Not being able to do that in a digital format, or it's not the same even in a digital format, right? right? Like there was this fear of all this consistent love that we've poured into these kids. I don't want it to get lost. Praise God that, that I think they've been able to maintain some of that, but it, it really is all about building that it's just time and it and is it and consistency. Yep. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like this in all youth ministry, but in the inner city, it's, it's much more felt that there's inconsistency in the world. Mm-hmm. And with the teens that we serve, there's often inconsistency within their homes. And so we yeah. try to be that consistent presence, texting teens, hanging out with them, giving them consistent, um, opportunities and and constant opportunities to come be with us or hang out with us or, you know, even small things like giving them a ride to the store, to their job. Yeah. Just to, just to be that, that helping hand that again, so many of us grew up with without even realizing or acknowledging. Yeah. But, but yeah, 
I mean, that was our big thing too when the pandemic hit. Like, how are we going to stay yeah. stay connected? And uh, and we've tried to be creative, and we've I think done as good a job as we could have hoped to have done. Again, we didn't have a playbook for a pandemic. You know? Yeah, nobody did, right? But the whole church just kind did. of <laughs> we threw our hands started, up and said, "What do we do? How how do we do this?" And and you know, it's been Instagram, it's been Hangouts, it's been um, different kind of watch parties and uh, video games that yeah. are, you know online. Anything we can do to just stay in in relationship with them, and yeah, and now that the pandemic, hopefully, God willing, fingers crossed, is, is starting to lift and life will return to some sort of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really looking forward to getting back out and taking them yeah. to the park and playing, and just uh, spending time together again. Yeah. Now it's not just you and like three guys in an office. Like you, you right. have a team of people. Tell me, tell me a little yeah. bit about the structure of how you go out and do this where you are. It's not just in Steubenville, yep. right? You'll have a few different no, locations. Right. So it's not just in Steubenville. It started in Steubenville and now it's mm-hmm. really expanded to a national ministry. And so right now we are in uh, four cities, um, but within those cities, we can have multiple bases. So mm-hmm. we're in Steubenville. Uh, we have four bases in Pittsburgh, which is about 45 minutes away. And so I actually spend my time split between the two cities, going over to Pittsburgh, staying here in town. And then we have a base in Greenville, North Carolina. Oh, wow. And then um, a base over in Wichita, Kansas. And we're discerning on, on where we go next and how we continue to grow. But within those cities, um, we have multiple missionaries and multiple bases. So in Wichita, we have two bases. In Pittsburgh, we have four. I think I said that. Steubenville and Greenville, we have one. And each base will have anywhere between three to five missionaries. And so our missionaries live in community um, as we are a strong component that we need to have community ourselves um, to foster and cultivate community in the city Um, that, and it's just more fun to do ministry with friends and with other people. (laughs) And, and it makes it a lot uh, more enjoyable because again, it's difficult and I'm sure you can relate. Mm -hmm. Youth ministry is hard enough. um, And I feel like youth ministry often makes you kind of come to this place where you can go to bed crying or go to bed laughing. And, um, and it's just easier to laugh when you're with, uh, with friends, right? Like today was a failure, but wasn't that kind of funny, you know, and, um, and we try again tomorrow. And so we try to cultivate, um, good community and formation within our missionaries. And then they go out and serve together throughout the day or through the week. How do they find you? Is it typically Steubenville students that know you and Bob? Is it, you know, they just Google I want to help. Like how, how do people find you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Bob and, and me, we have a little bit of a platform in youth ministry circles. So that does help. That mm-hmm. does help. Our president, Andy Lefsneski also has his online presence with a ministry called redeemed online. Mm-hmm. And so again, that's great, but we do get quite a few people from Francis university being here, a bunch of eager young adults who are looking to change the world. Um, some of them will come on and serve for a year or they'll be on our core team and they'll just fall in love with the teens and, and then they, they're in, they're hooked and they become missionaries. Um, and the same can be true for the other bases, core members fall in love and, and they become mm-hmm. missionaries. Uh, but also some people are just looking for missionary opportunities. And so, you know, we're, we're on all the basic sites, uh, life team, uh, Catholic jobs, right? I mean, so there are some youth ministers and some young people who are just searching youth ministry or, Catholic jobs and, uh, and will pop up. And so that's, that's some of it. Um, and then 
some of it is, is word of mouth. And we're just now getting to this point where teams that we've served, we actually just hired our first team. Um, a team who came up through the program has become a missionary. Oh, wow. And so that's, that's our dream. That's our hope that we can create such an impact in the city that those who grew up in the city and live in the city and have found a new way of living life and a new hope in Jesus Christ remain in the city and can bring others, you know, who they've grown up with and others that they know into that same kind of place and relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's really exciting. So our hope is that as we continue to grow and foster, um, these ministries in these specific cities that we'll start to have some, some homegrown missionaries, um, yeah. some people that we've served and who have been impacted by our program continue to take the lead and bring it into the next generation. Yeah. So they sign up, they want to serve, they want to go out, but I mean, you don't just throw them to the wolves, right? Like they, they yeah. don't just grab a backpack and a pair of Good shoes luck. and we say, go love some Good inner luck. city kids. Like they, there's yep. a pretty intense formation period, pretty intense formation period. And you know, it's interesting because we, we get all sorts of people applying for, for mission. Um, sometimes uh, they're just out of high school and they're looking for a gap year. Um, sometimes they are burned out of church work and they're a little older and they just want to go and, and do something and recapture that love that they had at first, right? And so knowing that people are coming from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, we, we do have a pretty intensive program that we ask everyone to go through a training period that just gets everyone on the same playing field. For some, it could be review. Others, it's brand new information. And ultimately, it's kind of boiled down into, I would say, four four major subgroups, which is good theology, good catechetics, psychology or human formation, and then just practical business Mm -hmm. ethics. And so so typically what we do, um, if there's not a pandemic, is we we bring everybody in for a month and we essentially go into uh, a pretty intensive uh, schedule of you know, classroom work. Um, and it's fun and, you know, we try our best to keep it lively, but we'll take a week and we'll dive into the curriculum. We'll just say, this is the gospel and this is what we teach and this is how we teach it. And then from there, we kind of talk about how we do that within Vagabond, right? So this is the kind of program that we run that reaches the furthest out kids, the kids who could be in gangs, the kids who are just coming because they are hungry, right? Like, but this is how we do what we can to make sure that we are somehow grabbing their attention. Uh, this is the type of program that we run if we're trying to take teens a little deeper, right? And we do run our own RCIA program um, alongside the church. Um, we call it a Jesus class, right? So then this is how you teach RCIA. Um, this is how you teach Jesus class. And we walk them through the basic curriculum that is necessary for RCIA, right? And, um, and we do that with the church and get the church's approval. And, but everything's very simple, right? So like we talk about grace and we just call grace God's help. It's the way God helps us, right? Every, every definition is, is just very simple um, and really trying to help them understand just the, the most basic precepts of the faith and get them really excited by the fact that they're going to be baptized mm-hmm. and they have a home in the church. Right. And so, so we talk, we talk about the theology and then we'll talk about the catechetical side. So how do you do that? What does it look like to talk to someone who has grown up in a totally different environment than you, who looks different from you, who may not trust you. And, you know, a lot of what we do um, in ministry, we often talk about relational ministry, right? And relational ministry is, is great. And that's a 
huge cornerstone of, of youth ministry today. And it's something that our church and even our, our ministry, I think, has been based on and, and good ministry is often focused around relational ministry. But within Vagabond, we talk about incarnational ministry, mm-hmm. that Jesus didn't have just relationships, but he actually initiated the relationships that Jesus came off his throne, became incarnate and came to us. Like he didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like he could have easily just had his fingers, you know, snapped from, you know, heaven and his throne and never left his, his comfortable chair and, and just save the world however he wanted to. But he decided to come to us. And even when you look at the gospels, when he has these big Sermon on the Mount moments, they're beautiful, but oftentimes you don't see great conversion. You see the great conversion when he's one-on-one with someone, mm-hmm. he's going to their house, he's seeing someone in a tree and saying, hey, you come here to me, right? He's going to them and stepping into their lives. And so we focus a lot on being incarnational. So going to the schools, going to the basketball courts, going to the community centers, wherever the teams are, that's where we want to go. Again, it's mm-hmm. it's not church work, Uh where we kind of have the sacraments as a feeder system, or we know we're going to get kids as their sophomores because they have to get confirmed. Uh, If we don't go out there and meet people, no one's going to come to our programs. No one's going to get into Jesus class. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot of reps. It's a lot of role play during that week of training. Like, well, how would you explain the Eucharist? How would you talk Mm -hmm. about Mary? How would you talk about the church? Or how would you just have a normal conversation? You know, I always tell them, like I'm a shoe guy. It's just such an easy thing to talk to yeah. teens about. Like, Hey, I like your shoes. Um, and they're like, thanks. And then we're kind of off on a, a nice foot. Um, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Um, and so, uh, you know, what are those kind of conversation starters that get you in the door so that you can start to build trust? So we talk about catechetics. We talk about some psychology, you know, in the inner city, not only is there a lot of poverty, but there's a lot of mental health issues. And so how do we distinguish what we can do as, as youth ministers and as missionaries and what are we not equipped to handle? Because I think mm-hmm. uh, sometimes where we've gotten in trouble in the past is missionaries thinking that they have to save these teens and that every mm-hmm. single problem um, we're going to be able to fix. And that's just not the case. But what we can do is we can, again, connect them to someone who is more equipped to handle some of the, the bigger issues depression or bipolar or again any of those other issues that you you see many times in the in the inner city right and so how do we characterize that how do we see that and then what do we do if we come across that Mm -hmm. um and then we talk about just the basics of what does it mean to to run a ministry because if you're here in steubenville or pittsburgh you're probably going to see me a couple times a week we can talk and kind of troubleshoot through the week and schedule but if you're in Wichita or if you're in North Carolina, we're going to talk on the phone. We're going to jump on a Zoom call. But mm-hmm. to a certain degree, you have a lot more freedom and you don't really have me looking over your shoulder all that much. And so what does it look like to fill your time? What do you do when you inevitably find yourself on a Thursday afternoon with no teams around and seemingly nothing to do? Mm-hmm. How do you fill your time? And so we just talk about best practices and what that looks like and simple things, emails and returning phone calls and all those simple kind of monotonous things that oftentimes fall to the wayside in youth ministry. Unfortunately, that kind of give youth ministers a bad name because we're unprofessional or, or whatever. And so just some of those things, they're, um, 
yeah, that, that are just inevitable, right. And, yeah. and work and, and ministry. And so we, we just go through those, those four things. And, um, and then in, in the middle, a lot of practical applications. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And um, I'm sure a ton of troubleshooting as a year is going on. Um, of course, then ongoing formation and meetings mm-hmm. and best practices. And so, yeah, in no way can we get through everything in, in four weeks. Right. But, right. But we do our best to try and prepare them. And then we do say, good luck. We're yeah. going to be supporting you the best that we can. And then within the teams, we do have a structure so that we have, you know, veteran missionaries mm-hmm. and leadership roles. So no one's really going out there with, with no one to right. be next to them and lead them. Right. But, but we do try and get every person to a point where they can lead themselves well, where they can feel confident in their own giftings and their own calling and then mm-hmm. do our best to support them and form them as they continue to serve. Yeah. When it, it, I imagine that somebody does their time as a missionary and then moves on, perhaps, you know, goes, I don't want to say goes back to the real world, but missionary work sometimes does feel removed from, say, the same structures and rigors of an eight to five job because you're, you're making yourself right. more available to, right. it's more rigorous, right? Because you're making yourself yep. available to, to populations of people who need that stability. But mm-hmm. it sounds like, I would assume, maybe you can speak to this, that, that this then sets up those people for the, your missionaries to be able to really embody this in whatever they end up doing in whatever capacity. That's the hope. I mean, that's the goal. And even for me, my job is to do the ongoing formation, former mm-hmm. missionaries, take care of them. And we were talking about this earlier. Like I thought I was signing up two and a half years ago to come and do inner city ministry. Like that's what mm-hmm. I was ready to do. And uh, here I am two and a half years later. And my role has more or less morphed into a young adult yeah. minister, taking care of our missionaries and helping form them and you know, it's funny, we talk a lot about ministry, but sometimes we're talking about dating. Sometimes we're talking yeah. about what do we do next and discernment and just life in general. And I don't know if I would have moved across the country for, <laughs> for a young adult role, you know, but I've uh, snagged God, you. <laughs> God, God knew what he was doing. And, and I've just loved it and feel so privileged to kind of have this role within the organization. But, but our goal is that when people come into the mission, maybe they'll stay forever but they probably mm-hmm. won't. And we want them to leave better than when they came in. Mm-hmm. And so we want them to have a strong prayer life. We want them to have good organization skills so that when they do step into a youth ministry job or whatever job, that they know what it is to work in a consistent professional environment and they can cultivate and um, flourish in, in whatever environment they're in. And so, so we try our best to give them what we can so that whether it's just for a year or five years with us, um, it doesn't matter that for a lifetime um, they're going to be set to succeed. Yeah. I, I mean, I love, I love what you guys do. Um, I think it's, it's a, people always think of like the biggies when it comes to mission work, but that, that this really is doing this consistent, steady, necessary work within the life of the church within populations within towns that i mean like i would never have thought of wichita kansas as a place that would need missionaries but it clearly does and so i almost love that small town feel of of finding those communities that would need this time where can people find out more about vagabond yeah so if you want to learn more about vagabond missions i would say just go to our website uh vagabondmissions.com or just find us on social media. I feel like everything's on social media now. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> including just you look for us on, on me. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on social media, but 
I'm not very good at it. I'm not, I'm not much of an influencer, but uh, Vagabond Missions, we're, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on all the biggies. And so um, you can find us and see what our missionaries are doing and what our organization is doing. And so we're trying our best to, to be available and, and out there so that people can find us if they're looking. So that's, that's always my second to last question. This season, our last question really is, if somebody's listening to this, they're driving their car, they're headed to work maybe if we're back to normal um, or just washing dishes, what does the, the, the normal everyday layperson who, who can't sign up to go be a missionary, how do they live the social justice mission of the church? Um, yep. you know, what would be like the first thing that you would recommend they start to do to try to, to try to be missionary themselves? Yeah. And that's such a great question. And I would hate to shortchange this answer by just giving <laughs> like a, like a one hat fits all kind of answer. Right. But I mean, I think first and foremost, like we are a community, we are a church, we are a family as again, as trite as that may sound, it's true. And so I think one, and this is going to sound so simple, but the impact is potentially eternal. And and that's just to pray for those that are in need. And, you know, I think oftentimes I'm a missionary, our staff, we're all missionaries. So we have to do some fundraising, we raise our support. I mean, there's like some very practical things that we have to do but more than, than any other support, we need prayer. And mm. the people that we serve, more than even us being present and taking them out to play basketball or taking them to McDonald's or to church or whatever it might be, they need prayer. And you don't need to be willing to move to the inner city to do, <laughs> to do that. And so to just pray that, that God have mercy on, you know, on, on this world and these people. And there's so much hurt and so much pain. And, and I truly believe that Jesus is bigger than all of it. And and so if we can just pray for those that are in need, uh, that goes a long way. And then I think the mm-hmm. second thing for those who are just, again, driving to work and, you know, not able to be a missionary themselves, it starts small, right? Just love where you're at. Social justice and the social teachings of the church, they're good. They are, they're dense, um, right? I mean, like you, you can go down a rabbit hole with all the social teachings of the church and it's lovely and it's amazing. But at the bottom of, of it all, the foundation is just how do you love someone well? And, and so just love where you're at. Love your neighbor. Love your coworker. Mm-hmm. Love your family. Uh, you know, we, we work with a lot of people who are in poverty, but, it, you know, Mother Teresa said the greatest poverty is loneliness, right? And so where do we find people who are feeling like they're on the outside? You know, where are the people who are in need? And it may not be money. It may not be mm-hmm. clothing. It may not be food, but, but maybe they just need a hug. You know, maybe they need someone to listen. And so, yeah, you don't have to quit your job and become a missionary to be a missionary. You, you can be a missionary right where you're at. And it usually starts just by loving the people you're closest to. Yeah. It's, it's so perfect with what the rest of our guests have said so far. It's the Holy Spirit. Everybody's answer is always in the same vein. And maybe I'm trying to prove a thesis there. And that I think that is always (laughs) the first, the first Uh, step. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time. We're grateful that you joined us. Of course. Anytime. I love how Chris wasn't afraid to let us know how terrifying it was when he first got started, um, how building those relationships, especially with young people who who find themselves lacking or in need of, of temporal physical things, can be tough and can be challenging, but is always worth it, and is in fact an awesome opportunity to reach hearts and minds that, that would otherwise maybe be forgotten or cast aside. I think it's important for us to remember that we put our faith into action with any person that we meet, 
and that some of us are uniquely equipped to reach out to young people who need to hear the gospel and, and who need some help in their life, and that perhaps we can be the one who is able to do that. I would leave you perhaps with something to ponder this week that Chris talked about, which is when we share the gospel, when we share the kerygma, we do so from a place of our own personal witness, inviting them into a story, one that I I think we all know is quite profound and life-changing. Faith in action and putting our faith into action is not just a theoretical concept. Catholic social teaching is not just some nice ideas that are collected together and published, but is in fact a treasure within our church and something that we're all called to work for and to do. To learn how to keep doing that and to become more invested in putting our faith into action, I'd encourage you to go over to AveMariaPress.com. I sound like a broken record, I'm sorry, but I just really want you to see all the great stuff that we have. The articles, the videos, other podcast episodes, saint biographies, challenges, showcases of incredible ministries. We've got a ton of content this time around. It's all waiting for you at AveMariaPress.com. I know that you will like it. I know that you will enjoy it. I know that you'll want to share it. So click on over there. The link is down in the show notes. I hope that you find some hope and inspiration, some comfort, perhaps some great ideas that you can implement and incorporate in your neighborhoods, in your homes, in your communities, in your schools. This series is one that we're really, um, we're really proud of. And I'm grateful that you're listening to this podcast. I hope that you would be willing to give it a rating and a review, and share it with others so that they can find it. We recently hit 45,000 downloads on the podcast. We are very proud of that. And we hope that number only continues to increase. And it will if you share it. It will if you review it. So we, we hope that you take the time to do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, where you can find all of our episodes, all 40 of them. This is our 40th episode. So again, we are grateful that you have joined us, that you've listened, that hopefully you've become a fan, that you've subscribed. Hop on over to Ave Maria Press to find everything that we've created. We'll be back next week with two special episodes with the Sisters of Life and Steve Camarelli of the Center for the Homeless in South Bend, Indiana. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.